Man, hi, host here. The Dead Smile by F. Marion Crawford. Sir Hugh Ockham smiled as he sat by the open window of his study. In the late August afternoon, across a yellow cloud, a scored a low sun, and after clear summer light, time lucid, as had been suddenly poisoned and polluted by the foul vapours of the plague. Sir Hugh's face seemed, at best, to be made of his fine parchment, torn skin tight over a wooden mask, with two sunken eyes peered from the far within. The eyes peered from under the wrinkled lids, alive and watchful like toads in their holes, side by side and exactly alike. But the light changed, and a little yellow glare flashed in each. He smiled, stretching pale lips across discovered teeth, an expression of profound self-satisfaction, blended with the most unforgiving hatred and contempt for the human doll. Nurse MacDonald, who was a hundred years old, said that now when Sir Hugh smiled, he saw the faces of two women in hell, two women he had betrayed. A smile widened the hideous disease which Sir Hugh was dying had touched his brain. His son stood beside him, tall, white, and decorated as an angel, a primitive picture. And through there was deep distress in his violet eyes. As he looked at his father's face, he felt the shadow of the sickening smile stealing across his own lips, parting and drawing them across his will, against his will. It was like a bad dream. He tried not to smile, and smiled the more. Beside him, strangely like him, in a vain angelic beauty, the same shadowy golden hair, the same sad violet eyes, the same luminously pale face. Evelyn Warburton rested at one hand upon his arm. As she looked upon her uncle's eyes, she could not turn away from her own. Turn, turn her own away. She too knew that deathly smile was hovering over her own red lips, drawing them tightly across her little teeth. While there were two bright tears down her cheeks to her mouth and dropped from the utter to the lower lip. The smile was there, was like the shadow of death, a sealed damnation upon her purse, young face. Of course, said who very slowly, still looking out at the trees, if you made your mind up to be married, I cannot hinder you. I do not suppose you attach the smallest importance to my consent. Father, exclaimed Lariel, Reproachfully, no, I do not sleep myself. Continued the old man, smiling terribly. You will marry when I am dead. Though this is there is a good reason why you put uh, you why you better not why you better not. He repeated very emphatically. He smiled, slowly sterned, his toad eyes upon the lovers. What reason? Said Evelyn in a frightened voice. Never mind the reason, my dear. You will marry just as if it was never did not exist. There's a long pause. Two gone, he said, his voice lowering strangely, and two more will be four all together, forever and ever, burning, burning, burning bright. At the last words, his head sank slowly back, and a little glare of his toad eyes disappeared under the swollen lips. Sir Hugh had fallen asleep. He often did in his illness, even while speaking. Joe Okraham drew Elvin away. And from the study, they went out into a dim hall, slowly closing the door behind them. Each overly drew a breath, as though some sudden danger had been passed, 
As they laid their hands on each other, their strangely like eyes met in a long look in which love and perfect understanding were brightened by the sacred, sacred terror of an unknown thing. A pale faces reflected each other's fear. It is, it is he. Is it his secret? Said Edward. He who never tells us what it is. If he di- if he dies with it, answered Gabriel. Let it be on his own head. On his head, echoed the dim hall. It is a strange echo. Where was frightened by it? They said that if they were a real echo, you repeat everything and not give away a phrase here and there. Not speaking, now speaking, now silent. Nurse MacDonald said that the great hall would, ne- had, would never echo a player that when an echoman was to die. No, it would give back curses ten for more. On his hands, it repeated softly. Erwin started and looked around. It, it's only the echo, said the Gabriel, leading her away. He went out into the late afternoon light and sat upon a stone seat behind the chapel. It had not been built at the end of the east wing. It was still, not a breath of stirred, and there was no sound near them. All far off in the park, a songbird was whistling the high prelude to the evening chorus. A very lonely here, said Evelyn, taking Gabriel's hand, nervously speaking if it's ready to disturb the silence. If it were dark, I should be afraid. And what of? Of what? Of me? Gabriel's side eyes turned to her. Oh no, I never you, but of the old recommends. They, they say they are just under our feet here in the roof, vault, outside the chapel. In all their shrouds and no, no coffins, as they used to bury them. As always, as they always will, as they will bury my father and me. They say, Uckerman, will not lie in a coffin. They cannot be true. They are fairy tales, ghost stories. And have been witnessed re- 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 nearer to her companion, grasping his hands more tightly as the sun began to go down. Oh, of course, there is the story of old Sir Venomon. Who was beheaded for treason under St. James II. The family brought his body back from the scaffold in an iron coffin and heavy locks and put him to the north vault. But uh, over afterwards, whenever the vault was open to bury another of the family, they found the coffin was open, a body standing upright against the wall, a head rolled away in a corner, smiling at it. And, uh, as Uncle Hugh smiles, everything shivered. Yes, I suppose so, answered Gabriel thoughtfully. Oh, of course, I never saw it. A vault has been open for thirty years. None of us have died since then. And if you, if your uncle Hugh dies, shall you? And have been stopped. Her beautiful, thin voice, face is quite white. Yes, I shall see him lay there too. With a secret, whatever it is, gave a sigh and pressed the girl's little hand. I do not think of it," said she. "Said um, I do not like to think of it," she said unsteadily. Oh, Gabriel, what can the secret be? He said, well, uh, he, he had better not marry. Not that he forbade it, but he said not so strangely. He smiled. Ah, the two small white teeth chattered in fear, and she looked over her shoulder, still drawing closer to Gabriel, and somehow I felt it was my own face. So did I, answered Gabriel, in a low, nervous voice. That's my girl. MacDonald, he smiled rapidly. He stopped abruptly. What? What did did she? Oh, nothing. She was throwing me things. She told me things. It would frighten you, dear. Come. It's a, 
green chili with his rose, but Evelyn held his hand in both of hers, still sitting and looking up into his face. But we shouldn't be married, just the same, Gabrielle. Say that, Michelle. Of course, darling, of course. But while my father is very ill, it is impossible. Oh, Gabriel, Gabriel, dear, I wish we were married now. Evelyn cried in sudden distress. I know that something will prevent it and keep us apart. Nothing, shall, nothing. Nothing human, said Gabriel Ackerman, as they drew him down to her. Their faces were so strangely alike, met and touched. Gabriel knew that it was kissed and had a marvellous saviour of evil. Evelyn's lips were like a cold breath of a sweet and mild fear that neither of them understood, for they were innocent and young. Yet she drew him by her lightest touch, as a sensitive plant shivers, waves its thin leaves and bends and closes softly upon its wants. She left him, he let himself be drawn to her willingly, and even if her touch had been deadly and poisonous, for he strangely loved that half-femless breath of her fear. He passionately desired the name is evil, something that lurked in her maiden lips. As if, as if we have loved in a strange dream, she said. I fear the awakening, he murmured, murmured. We shall not wake, dear. When the dream is over, it will have already turned into death. So softly we shall not know. But until then, she pulls her eyes, seeking his, as well as, his, as their faces slowly came nearer. It was this. It was as they each other thoughts in their lips. If I saw that for, for you, the other, I like then, she said again, very low, her mouth near to his death dream till then, he murmured. Nurse MacDonald sat, sat sleeping, sitting, in all bent together in a great old leather armchair with wings, many warm blankets wrapped around her, even in summer. She would let rest her feet in a bag with a footstool lined with sheepskin while beside her in a wooden table was a little lamp that burned at night and an old silver cup which was always something to drink. She, her face was very wrinkled but the, but the wrinkles were so small and fine and close together they were made shadows instead of lines. Two yellow, two thin locks of hair were turning them white to smoking yellow fell over her temples from under her starched white cap. Even now and then she would wake from her slumber, her eyelids drawn in tiny folds, like little pink cushions, silk cushions. Her blue, queer blue eyes would look straight ahead through the door and windows to the world to far place beyond. When she stepped again with her hands one upon the other, on the other edge, on the edge of the banquet, her thumbs growing longer, in the fingers of age. It was nearly one o'clock in the night when the summer breeze was blowing an ivy branch against the panes of the window with a hustling, hustling caress. In a small room beyond, with, with the jaw jar, the young maid who took care of Nurse McDonald was fast asleep. All was very quiet. The old woman breathed regularly. Her drawn lips trembled each time she breath went out. But outside the closed window, there was a face. Violet eyes were looking steadily at the ancient sleeper, strange as they were eighty feet from the still of the window, to the foot of the tower. It was like the face of Edwin the Mobile, yet the cheeks were thinner than Edwin's, and as white as a gleam. The eyes stared, and the lips were red with life. They were dead lips, painted with new blood. 
Slowly, Nurse McDonald's wrinkled eyelids folded back, and she looked straight at the face in the window. It's time, she asked, in a, a little too old, faraway voice. She took, looked at the face in the window, changed. Eyes opened wider and wider, till the white glared. All around the bright violet and bloody lips, opening their gleaming teeth, a shadow of golden veil surrounding the face rose and steamed against the window. In a night breeze, in the answer to Nurse MacDonald's question, came a sound that froze of living flesh. It was this low moaning voice, one that rose suddenly like the scream of a storm. Then it went from a moan to a wall, to a well. From a wail to a howl, from a howl to the shriek of the tortured dead. He who has heard it before knows he can hear bear witness to the cry of the manchi. It is an evil cry to hear alone in a dark, deep night. When it was all over and the face was gone, Nurse McDonald shook a little in a great chair. She looked at the black space of the window. There is nothing more there. Nothing but the night and a whispering ivory branch. She turned to the head of the door. She left was ajar. There stood a young maid in her white gown, a chief trekking from the fight. It is time, child, said Nurse MacDonald. I must go to him, for it is for the, for the, it is the end. She rose slowly, leaning her swivered hands upon the arms of the chair. As a girl brought her wooden ground, wooden ground a great mantle in her clutch, a crutch stick. But very often the girl looked at the window and was unjointed with fear. And after Nurse MacDonald shook her hand and said words which the maid could not understand. It is like the face of Mrs. Evelyn, said the girl trembling. But the ancient woman looked up sharply and angry. Her queer blue eyes glared. She held herself up to the arm of the great chair with her left hand lifted up a crutch and stick to strike the maid with all her might. She didn't, but she did not. You are a good girl, she said, but you are a fool. Pray for wit, children, pray for wit. Or else find service in a house other than the Wickham Hall. You bring the lamp and help me up. Each uh, Every step Mac Nurse MacDonald took was a leaper in itself. As she moved, the maid's slippers clattered alongside. But the clacking noise the other servants knew that she was coming very long before she saw her. No one's sleeping now. There were lights and whisperings. A pair of faces in the corridors near St. Hughes' bedroom. Often everyone would go in. Often someone would go in, someone would come out. But everyone made way for Nurse St. Donald, who nursed Sir Hughes' father more than 80 years ago. A light was soft and clear in the room, Gable welcomed them. Stood by his father's bedside, they knelt to Emmerin Ellerin Warborne. Her head lying with a golden shadow down her shoulder, her hands clasped nervously together. Opposite Gabriel, a nurse was trying to make so you drink, but he would not. His lips parted, his teeth were set. He's very, very thin now. His eyes caught the light sabers. They were, as, they were as yellow coals. Do not torment him, said Nurse MacDonald, and that woman held the cup. Let him speak, for this hour is come. Let him speak, let him, sp let her speak to him, they gave her a dull voice. An ancient nurse leaned over the pillow and lay, lay, laid a featherweight of her weathered hand. 
It was like it was like a grown moth upon Sir Hughes' yellow fingers. Then she spoke to him earnestly, while the only Gabriel and Edwin were left in the room to hear. Who who recommends? she said. This is the life, end of your life. I saw you born. I, I saw your father born before you. I come to see you die. How are you going? You tell, you tell me the truth. The dying man recognized the little phantom way voice. He'd known all his life. He was little. He slowly, he slowly turned. He had a face. Nurse MacDonald, but he said nothing. She had, then she spoke again. Hurry, hurry, Drakeman. You never seen a dialect again. Will you tell the truth? He told his toad like eyes were not so dull. He fastened himself on his face. What do you want of me? he asked. Every word sounding more hollow than the last. I have no secrets. I have lived a good life. Nurse MacDonald laughed, a tiny crack of laughs, and make her old head and tremble a little, as her neck was on a string still. But Sir Hugh's eyes grew red and his pale lips began to twist. Let him die in peace, he said slowly. But Nurse MacDonald looked took her hand and her brown mouth-like hand left his and fluttered to his forehead. Ah, by the mother that bore you and died of grief for the sins for you. You did tell, tell me the truth. So whose lips tightened to his discolored teeth. Not so, not on earth, he answered slowly. Be the, be the wife who bore your son and the heart died heartbroken. Tell me the truth, neither of you in life nor behind the eternal cliff. Death. His lips withered as they were as their coals between them. A great drop of sweat rolled across the parchment of his forehead. Gable Ockham and put his hand as he watched his father die. But Nurse MacDonald spoke a third time. But a woman whom betrayed, who waits for you this night, Henry Ockham, tell me the truth. Too late, let me die in peace. His riving lips began to smile across his yellow teeth. His toad-like eyes glowed like an evil jewels in his head. There is time, said the ancient woman. Tell me in the name of Elwin Mabdowell-Barber. Then I shall let you die in peace. Elwin started. She had stared at Nurse MacDonald and then at her uncle. The name of Elwin's father, she repeated slowly while the awful smile spread upon his dying face. A light was glowing strangely dim in the great room. As Edwin looked up, a nurse met down his crooked arrow on the wall, grew gigantic, so her huge roof was becoming thick, rattling in his throat as death crept like a snake and choked it back. Edwin prayed aloud, high and clear. There was then something wrapped at the window. She felt in her hair rise upon her head. She looked around and spit the plate of herself, and she saw their home white face looking at this glass, her, 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 her own eyes staring at her through the glass, wide and more fearful. Her own hair streaming against the pane, her own lips dashed with blood. She looked. She rose slowly from the floor and stopped rigid. And one moment before she screamed, and once fell back into Blair's arms. But a shriek had answered like hers. Was a fear shriek or a, a bet, torment of collapse? Courts out of which the soul cannot pass for shame of deadly sins. So he woke up and sat upside upright in his bed, bed and saw and cried, Edwin, 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 Edwin. His voice, heart, voice broke and rattled his chest as he sat down. But still, Nurse MacDonald tortured him, for there was a little life left in him still. There's still a little life left in him. 
you have been the mother as she wants for you? Ackerman. Who was the girl of his father? What was his name? What was the last name? That dreadful smile came upon his fair, switched lip. Very slowly, very surely now, a toad eyes glance. Red and the parchment face glowed a little in the flickering light. For the last sight, for the last words, that's for that. For the last words came. They know, they knew, know it's hell. But its glowing eyes went out quickly. The yellow face turned wax and pale. A great shiver ran through the bin and body of Hugh, sir, as Hugh went for Ockham and died. But the depth of his still smiled. We knew his secret had kept it still. He'd take it with him to the other side to lie with him forever in the north. Vault to the chapel where the Ockmans lay unconfined in the shrouds. That's, that's not, but not one. Though he was dead, he smiled. He kept his treasure of evil truth to the end. There was none left to tell the name he had spoken. There was still all the evil he had not undone, left to bear fruit. As they watched, Nazareth and Grubel were held a silver unconscious evidence. In his hands, he looked at his father. They felt the dead man's smile crawling across their own lips. As, as they shivered a little, as they looked both at the Edwin, as they lay with her head on her grave's shoulder, for though she was very beautiful, the same sickening smile was twisting her young mouth too, and it was like the foreboding of a great evil they could not understand. By they, by, and by they carried Edwin out, and when she opened her eyes, her smile was gone. For far away in the great house, the sound of weeping and crawling came upon the stairs and echoed among the dismal corridors. For the woman had begun to mourn the dead master in the Irish fashion. The bull were bad echoes to still of them, echoes of own all the night, like the far away well of a banshee among the forest trees. When the times would come and they took Sir Hugh in the window, Mining sheet of the Westwood beer, and bore him to the chapel through the loin door, and down along the centre north vault in the turpers, to lay him by the fiver. The two men went to the fast to prepare the face, and took came back staring like drunken men, their faces white, but Gabriel Elkham was not afraid, for he knew when he went in alone he saw the body so dumbarrowing leaning forward against the stone wall. It laid head his head lay on the surround, nearby with the face turned up. The dry leaf lips curled horribly at the dried up course, while the man I am coffined. Nine of black velvet stood upon, on, upon the door. Graver took a body of his hands, for it was very light, having at first dried by the air of the vault. And those who peeped in the door saw him lay in the coffin again. They heard it all, heard it, it rustled it, it touched his face at the bottom like a bundle of weeds. He also placed his head upon the shoulders and sat down upon the, up, down in the lid, where he fell with a snap of his resting spring. After that lay beside his father, and the tessel bare for which they brought him. They went back to the chapel, but they were locked in, they were locked in to one other's faces, masters and men. He was smiling with the same dead smile of the corpse. They left him in the vault. They would not bear to look at one another again. 
until they, they faded away. Gable Alcabam became Sir Gable, inheriting the barency with half ruined fortune that led to his father. And everything Alcabam continued to live at Alcabam Hall. A south room had been hers. Ever since she could remember, she could not go away. They were no relative to whom she got gold, and besides, he seemed to have no reason why she should not stay. The world would never trouble itself to care what her Alcabam's did in the Irish estates. It was long since the Alcabam's had asked anything of the world. So Gabriel took up his father's place on the dark old table in the dining room, Everything that sat opposite to him, until such time as they were mourning should be over, as they might be married at last. Meanwhile, their lives went on as before, since he too had been hopeless invalid invalid during the last year of his life. It was seen, they had seen him but once a day for a little while, spending most of their time together in perfectly, perfect, strangely perfect companionship. Through the late summer sanded into the autumn, and autumn darkened into the winter. Storm followed a storm, a rain poured on rain. For the short days and long nights, Ockham Hall seemed less gloomy since Sir Hugh had laid rest in the north vault beside his father. As Christmas tide, Evelyn decked the great hall with holly and great barrels. Hugh fires, fires blazed in every each hive. The tenants were all bid to come in a New Year's dinner, at which they ate and drank well. While Sir Gabriel sat at the head of the table, Evelyn came in when the port wine was brought, and some with more respect than tenants made a speech to her help. When the speech made her said they belongs time since they had a lady welcome, so Gabriel shaded his eyes, his hair, and looked looked down at the table, a faint colour came into Elevin's transparent cheeks, and said the grey-haired farmer, it was long, long still exist, since they had been a lady ockerman so fair as the next was to be, he drank for the health of Evelyn Melbourne. When the tenants all stood up and shouted to her, Sir Gable stood by her up likewise, up besides Evelyn. When the men gave her the last and cheered, turned it all. That was voice not theirs above them. All the hires facing louder, an earthly scream shrieking for the bride of alcohol. It was clear loud that the holly of the green flowers over the great chimney shook and waved as a cool breeze were blowing over them. The men turned very pale. Many of them sat down their glasses, but others sat Set it and fall down to the floor, looking into one stranger's shivers faces. They saw what they were they all they were all smiling strangely, a dead smile like dead Sir Hughes. A smile of death was suddenly upon them, so they were head in planet, falling over each other like wild beasts in a burning forest, while the fixed smoke runs along before the flame. Tables were overturned, drinking glasses and bottles were broken to heaps. A dark red wine cooled like blood upon the polished floor. So Gabriel and Annie Boleyn were left standing alone ahead of the table before the wreck of their feast, not daring to turn to each other one's other, for one knew that for for each other knew the other smiled, but Gabriel's right hand held her, and his left hand clasped her tight as they stared before them, as they stared before him. But the shadows of her hair one one might have had told her two faces apart. They listened long, but the cry came out not again. Eventually the dead smile faded from the lips. 
Zita remembered that Sir Hugh lay in the moor vault, smiling in a winding sheet in the dark because he had died with his secret. So he ended the tenant's New Year's dinner. From that, by that time on, Sir Gabriel grew more and more silent. His face grew more even pale and thinner than before. Also, without warning, without words, he would rise from his seat as if something moved him against the wheel. He would go out in the train to all the sunshine to the north, side of the chapel, sit on the stone bench and stare at the ground as if he could see through it, through the vault, it's below, and through the white winding sheet in the dark. The dead smiled and would not die. Always had he sat out in the way. Always when he went out that way, Evelyn would come out presently and sit beside him. Once at the once as it as, as in the past, their beautiful faces came suddenly near, their lips dropped, their red lips were almost joined together. As their eyes met, they grew wide and wild. So the white showed a little ring, showed all the deep violet. Their teeth chattered and their hands were like hands of courses, but fear what was under their feet, and what they knew they could not see. Once Evelyn found Sir Gabriel in the trouble alone, standing before the iron door that led down to the place of death, with the key in the door in his hand. He had not put it into the lock. Evelyn drew him away, shivering, for she had also been driven in waking dreams to see the terrible thing again, and find out whether it changed since it had been laid there. I am going mad, said Sir Gabriel covering his eyes from his hand as he went with her. I see him, I sleep, I see it when I'm awake. It draws me, day, it draws to me, it read to it. Day and night, unless I, could, I see it, I shall die. I know, answered Evan, I know. It's his treads through a spun through like a spider's web, drawing us to, down to it. She was silent for a moment. He started, she started violently and grasped his arm as a man with man strength almost screamed the words he spoke. But we must not we must not go there, she cried. You must not go, so Gabriel eyes were half shut. He was not moved by the agony of her face. We I shall die no unless I see it again, he said in a quiet voice, but his own. And all that day and evening he sagely spoke, thinking of something Finger, almost thinking, always thinking. Evelyn Warren quivered with the head to foot, with a terror she had never known. Once, one grey wintry morning, she went along to nurse the girl's room in a towel. They sat down beside her with a great leather easy chair, lying her thin white hand bound upon the weathered hangers. Nurse, she said, what do you want? What was it that Uncle Hugh should have told you that night before he died? I must have been an awful secret. Yet you have, you, though you asked him, I feel somehow you knew it, and that you knew why he used to smile so dreadfully. The old woman's head moved slowly from side to side. I can only guess. I, I shall never, I shall never know. She answered slowly in a crackled little voice. But what do you what do you think what do you guess? Who am I? Why did you ask who my father was? I know I'm Colonel Walbrand's daughter. My mother's lady, uncle and sister. So that so that Gabriel and I are cousins. My father was killed in Escarousel. What secrets can there be? I do not know. I can only guess. Guess what? said Evelyn, imploring, pressing the soft withered hands as she leaned forward but nurse MacDonald's wrinkled eye lips. Dropped suddenly over her queer blue eyes, her lips shook a little. 
but until her breath, as if she was asleep, Edwin waited. By the time, by the fire, the Irish maid was knitting fast. Her needles clicked into three or four clicks, clicking against each other. But the real clock on the wall slowly ticked alone, checking the sounds, seconds of the woman who was a hundred years old and not many days left. Outside, the ivory branch beat the window in a wintry blast, as she had beaten against the glass a hundred years ago. Then as Evelyn sat there, and she felt again the waking of a horrible desire, a sickening wish to go down, down to the thing on the north wall, and open a withering winding sheet, and see the withering, whether it was to change, and she held Nurse Daniel's hands as she kept herself in her place, and the fight against the appalling attraction of this evil dead, but the old cat had stolen. But that old cat that kept Mrs. Nose MacDonald's feet awake, lying always on a footstep, got up and stretched itself and looked up in Evelyn's eyes until it, it backed arched, it tight, tall, thick and bristled. Tail thick and bristled, its ugly pink eyes drew back and devilish grin, showing its sharp teeth. Evelyn stared at it, half frustrated by its ugliness. Then the creature suddenly put out one paw. But, while its paws, all its paws spread and spat at the girl. All at once the grinning gat was like a grinning its money corpse so far down below. Evelyn shattered down to her small down to her small feet and covered her face with her free hand. At least Nas MacDonald should wake and see the dead smile there, for she could feel it. The old woman had already opened her eyes again, she touched the cat, the end of a clutch stick whereupon its back went bound, its tall tail shrunk, it slid back to the place on the footstool, but its yellow eyes looked up sideways as Evelyn, besides the sits of her eyes. What is it, what is it, what is it you guess, nurse? asked the young girl again. A bad thing, a wicked thing, but I dare not tell you, at least it might have to be sure. A very fault of it blast you your life, but I guess, knight, you might have, should know, not know, that you two should marry and pay this old sin with your souls. He used to tell us that we ought not to marry. Yes, he even told you that. Perhaps that was a man, not to poison meat before a starving beast. I said not to eat, and will never reason his hand, and take the meat away. And if he told you you should marry, it was because he hoped that you would. For all of young men living and dying, Hugh Arkman was the fastest man you ever t- told a coward lie, eh? and the cruelest thing caused his ever heart, a weak woman, the worst that ever loved us in. But Gabriel and I loved each other, said Evelyn very sadly. Nurse MacDonald's old eyes looked far away, the sight seemed long ago, that rose in a grey winter amid the mists of the ancient youth. If I love you, you can die together, said she said very slowly. Why should you live? Is it true? I am hundreds old. What life gives, gives, gives me the beginning of life, the end of the heap of ashes, and between the end and the beginning, there's the, all the pain of the world. Let me sleep, since I cannot die. Then the old woman's eyes opened again, her hand sunk a little lower under her breast. As Evelyn went away and left her asleep, a cat asleep on the footstool. The young girl tried to forget Nurses MacDonald's words, but she not, for she heard them over and over again in the wind behind her on the stairs. And they grew sick of fear of the faithful, unknown evil with which her soul was bound. She kept, felt badly somehow pressing her, putting her, putting her on, 
on from the nervous side. She went, she felt strange. Twins, friends that drew her mysteriously. When she shut her eyes, she saw in the chapel behind the altar the low iron door through which she must pass to go that, do that thing. As she lay awake at night, she drew the sheet over her face. At least she could see shadows of the wall beckoning for her, the sound of her own warm breath. A made whispering in her ears where she held the mattress to her hands to keep them getting up and going to the chapel. It must have been easier if she had an idea, no idea, a way thicker, thither for the library, but a door that was never locked. It would be fearfully easy to take her candle, go softly for the sleeping house, to the sleeping house. The key of the vault lay underneath the altar behind a stone that turned. It, it, she knew the little secret. She should, have been, she should be, go alone and see what she thought of it. She felt her hair raise on the feet, on the head. She shivered so that her bed shook. Then a horror went through her head in a cold thrill that all the agony again, like a myriad of icy needles bearing boring into her heart. The old clock in the nurse's McDonald's tower struck midnight. By the room she could hear the creaking trains and weights in her box. In the corner of their staircase, the jarring the rusty lever that lifted the, the handler. She had heard it all her life. It struck eleven strokes clearly, and then came the twelfth of a dull half stroke. I found the hammer was too weary to go, and had fallen asleep against the bell. The old court stood up from the stool and stretched itself. Nurse MacDonald opened her ocean eyes and slowly looked slowly around the room by the dim lights of the lamplight. She touched the cat with a crutch stick. It lay down upon her feet. She drank a few drops from her cup and went to sleep again. Up downstairs, Sir Gabriel went straight up as the clock struck, and as she, he had learned, he had dreams of a fearful demon of a ho- dream of horror, and his heart stood still. He woke as if stopping his beat against furiously against his breath, like a wild thing set free. No other man would ever know, known fear waking, not but some things made to. I mean, but sometimes it came to Mr. Gobel in his sleep. He pressed his hands to his temples and sat up on his bed. His hands were icy cold, but his head was hot. A dream faded far. His place became the master throughout the rack of his life. A thought came again, the slick twisting of his lips in the dark. There had been a smile far off, Evelyn Morin dreamed that a dead man was on, on her mouth, and woke, starting with a little moan. A face in her hand swelling, but Sir Grable struck a light and got up and began to talk up down in his great room. It was midnight and he had almost slept an hour in the end of the island. The winter were long. I shall go mad, he said to himself, holding his forehead. He knew he was true. For weeks and months his procession of things had grown upon him as these until he could think of nothing about thinking first of that. Now at once the old groovy strength, he knew that he must be an instrument of his lost mind. He knew he must do the deed of hatred and feared. He must fear, fear, he could fear anything or what, something could snap in his brain and divide him from his life. While he had life yet, he took the candlestick in his hand. The old-fashioned heavy candlestick had always been used for the head of the house. He did not think that the dressing, but when he went as went as he he was, the silent, his silk, like goes, and slippers, and opened the door. 
Everything was very still in the great house. He shut the door again behind him and walked noisily on the carpet through the long corridor. A cool breeze blew across his shoulder and drew his flame to his candle straight out. Instantly he stopped and looked around, but still the upright flame burned steadily. He walked on, and instantly a strong draught had behind him, almost extinguishing the light. It seemed to blow out on him this way, ceasing whatever he turned. Coming upon them, he went on invisible icy. Down the great staircase to the echoing hall he went, seeing nothing but the flaring flame of the candle standing away from him like the guttering wax. A cold wind blew over the shoulder and through his hair. As he, uh, on, he passed through the open door into the library of the dark, the old books were caved, bookcases, car bookcases. He went through the door, with shelves at intimate backs of the books planted and uh, which slipped itself after him with a soft click. He entered a low arch archway and through the door he shut behind him and tightly, fitted tightly in its frame, till the cold breeze threw the frame forward as he walked. He was not afraid, but his face was still very pale and his eyes were wide and bright. Already seeing, already in the dark, uh, and p- picture of the pictures of the the thing beyond, but the chapel had still stood still. His hand, his hand on everything. Time, on, on, but on the chapel he stood. His hand was t- little t- turning stone tablet. The back of his stone altar on the tablet was engraved the words: "Cornelius Spaculum Scolium Documentora Ockerman." Key to the vault that was like the most lord of the. The gable paused and listened, and he fancied what he heard and sound of all the great house were all been still. He could not come again. He waited till last and looked at the lion big. The lion door beyond it, down the long descent, his father uncoffined. Six months dead, corrupt, terrible in his clinging shroud. A strange preserving air of the vault could not yet have been done. His work completely as put his, but the thing's ghastly features with their half smut, dried eyes, open eyes, are still. Be a fight should so smell a frightful smell with which he, the man had died. Smell had that haunted. And for the cross of Raven's mind he felt, felt his lips ripping. He struck his old mouth in warmth with the back of his hand and so fiercely a drop of blood ran down his chin and another, another from the back of the room over the travel pavement. But still his bruised lips twisted themselves. He turned the table by the ticket me- by secret as the fault across the gravel's mind, he felt his lips wavering and he shook took his own mouth and wolf with a chin back of his hand so fiercely that a drop of blood ran down his cheek and other more falling back in the gloom upon the terrible pavement but still the bruised lips twisted themselves he turned the tablet by the simple secret he, he needed no either fastening for each open had been coffined in pure gold the door went wide open there was not a man in turners brave enough to go down to that place where Gabriel welcomed himself his angel's face, his thin white hands, his sad, unflinching eyes. He took the door, claw, great old key, and set into the 
in the block of the iron door, a heavy rattling noise echoed through the decent descent beyond the night footsteps, as if the watchers stood behind the Ryan and went running away within with a heavy dead feet. They threw his standing still, the cool wind was behind him, and blew the flame of the candle against the iron panel. He turned the key. So Gabriel saw that his candle was short. The new ones are on the altar, the long candlesticks, and he lit one and left his one burning on the floor. He sat down down the pavement of his lip began to bleed again. Another drop fell from upon the stones. He knew the iron door opened and pushed it back against the chapel wall. It was then he should have not shut itself. It was within the horrid straft as the spectrum came up. Out of the depth of his face, foul and dark, he went in, but the fool that fetched his felt it at him. All the flames of the time kind of were blown straight from his le- from he- him straight against the wall. He drew the open the open door and pushed it back against the ice of ice the uh, chapel wall so that he would not shut himself. When he was within the whole, whole draft the spectre came on about the depths of his face, foul and dark. He went in, but through the fretted air met him. Yet the flames of the tall candle were blown up straight from him against the wind, while his eye walked through the easy incline. With slowly steps his loose slippers slapping the pavement as he trod. He shaded the shaped the candle with his hand. His fingers seemed to be made with acts of blood as the light shone through them. In spite of him, the unearthly draught forced the flame forward, like it was till it blew over the dark black wick. It seemed as if they must go out, but they went straight on with shining eyes. The downward passage was wide. He went. He could not always see the wall of struggling light, but he knew that it was a, it was a place of death. A large and deep, deeply echo of the shape steps in the greater space. By the sensation of distant blank walls, he stood still, almost a crossing the flame of the candle. The window went hand over his hand. You could see a little of his eyes were growing used to the dim, shadowy figures outlined in the dimness. Where the veins of the outmen stood crowded up together, side by side, each of its each of its straight sturdied crooks, strangely, strangely reserved by the dry air, its empty shell with the locust treads in the summer, as a few steps behind him, he saw clearly a dark shape of headless smugglers Owens iron coffin, and knew the nearest it to lay the thing that he knew that the nearest it, it lay it lay the thing was sought. He was able as many those dead men had been. They were his fathers. They knew that as soon as they left, later he should lie there himself. Besides, Sir Hugh stood slowly trying to put parchment and shell. But as he did, he was still alive. He raised his eyes a moment as if the great drop stood on his forehead. Then he looked again. In the whiteness of the winding street, he knew his father was caught for all the others of brown rage. Moreover, the flame of the candle was blown, blown forward. He made four steps till he reached it, and suddenly the light burned straight and high, shedding a frenzy yellow glare upon the fire, the fine lighting that was all white, save our face. And when he joined hands, were held on the rafts. And these places, ugly, strange, were spread, deep darker than the outlines of the features. 
that of the tight glass fingers. There is a fable stench of dying death. As Sir Gable looked down, something stirred upon him, softly as he first, to come noisy, and something fell to the stone wall, where the stud of stale fud rolled up to his feet. He started, stirred, tartled down, and saw a withered head lying about on his face upward on the pavement, grinning at him. He felt a cold sweat staying on his face, and his heart felt painfully. For the first time in all his life, there was one evil thing when, one, when men call fear, were getting hold of him, checking his heart things of cool driver's checks, a quivering horse clawing at his backbone, icy fingers lifting their hair, freezing breath, climbing up, gathering in the midriff and laying weight. Let it be, he bit his lip and ran down, holding the candle in one hand, he left the trail back with the head of the corpse on the other, slowly lifted his clove with the eyes-dried skin on the face. His hand shook as someone had struck him with the elbow. A half in fear, half in anger at himself, he pulled it, so he came away with a little ripping sound. He caught his breath as he held it, not yet thrown it back, and felt and felt the old virgin, virgin Vernon Coven was standing up in his iron coffin, headless, yet watching him from the stump of his new severed neck. While he stood his breath, he felt a dead smile twisting his lips. He suddenly laughed at his own misery. He tossed the death strained linen backward and looked at the glass. He grounded his teeth in death. He should shriek aloud. That was that there it was, the thing that haunted him. That haunted Evelyn Warwood. That was like a blight on all that came near him. A dead face was blotched with dark stains of thin grey hair, was matted with discoloured forehead. The silken lips were half open, as candle that gleamed as something fell. While the toad lies were alive, but yet the deadly dead thing smiled. It smiled in life, and ghostly, ghastly lips were parted and drawn wide and tight upon the wolfish teeth. Still cursing, still, still defying hell to do its worst, defying, cursing, and always and forever smiling alone in the dark. So Gabriel pulled the sheet upon the hands were. The dark and riven fingers were closed upon something stained and mounted, mutted. Shivering with head to foot, but fainting the man in agony for his life, he tried to take the package from the dead man's hand. As he pulled at the claw-like hand, fingers seemed to close more tightly. When they pulled, pulled harder, the shrunken hands and arms rose, the course of a horrible look of life following his motion. Then, as he wrenched the field envelope loose, at last the hands fell back into the place they still folded. He spent... He spent sent down the candle on the edge of the beer to break the seals from the stout mirror. Kneeling on one thing nail to get a brighter light, he read about that what was what was written long ago. He said, uh, he used his queer hand. There was no he was no longer afraid. He read how who had written it down. It must perchance to be witness of evil and a bit of his hatred, had written how he had loved Eloine Mulderon, his wife's sister, how his wife had died in a broken heart with his curse upon her. He wrote of how Morbon had brought her, brought, had brought fault for her both sides of Afghanistan. Morbon had fallen, but Ockerman had brought her, his, 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 his wife back 
four years later, and they wrote down how he worried on the worried on on the mother, and she died like her sister with his curse on her. Now Edwin had been brought up, and his niece, innocent and unknowing of his son Gabriel. We wrote how Welcome and Wolverine had fought side by side in Afghanistan. African woman had fallen, but Welcomen had brought his commander's wife back a full year later. A little Evan and her child. They born in Ockerman Hall. He wrote how she worried of her mother and she died like her sister. And he cursed her and how Evelyn had brought him up as his niece. And how he had trusted his son Gabriel and his daughter. Innocent and unknowing must love and marry a soul as a woman he betrayed must suffer yet another anguish before eternity was out. And last of all he seen he hoped that some day nothing would happen that would come undone. Two might find his fighting, live on as, as a man and wife, not daring to tell the truth for their children's sake, the tro- world's word. Thus he read, kneeling beside the courts, and it no fault. By the end of the altar light candle, he read it all, and then he thanked God aloud he could have found the secret in time. When he finally rose his feet and looked down, the dead face had changed. The spell was gone for it, the joy had fallen a little. And, and tired. As he read now, he read how Sir Jew had written all this down and he might persuade percentage of witness of the evil he, his hatred. He had written how he loved Evelyn Morvan, his wife's sister, and how his wife had died of a broken heart, his white curse upon her. He wrote how Morvan had fallen side by side, fought by side by side by Afghanistan, fallen fallen. Alcavan had brought his sixth wife back four years later with little Evelyn, her daughter, her child. He was born in Oakland Hall. He wrote how he wearied of the mother and how she died like her sister with his curse on her and how Evelyn had been brought up as his niece and how he had trusted his own son Gabriel with his daughter. Innocent unknowing might love and marry as souls of a woman he must betray might suffer yet another anguish before. Tony was out and last of all he hoped that someday that when nothing could be undone the two might find this writing and live on as man and wife, not daring to tell the truth, that a parent's sake, children's sake, and a world's world. This is read kneeling beside the corpse of the North Vault, by the light of the altar candle. He read it then, oh, and then prayed God aloud. He thought the secret, found the secret time. He finally rose his feet and looked down the dead man's face. It had changed. His father was gone from it. The joy had fallen a little, and tired of dead lips were relaxed. And then there was a breath behind him and close to him, not, not cold like that, but. He 
this he kneeled beside the corpse in Rome for the light of the candle. He was free to lie and he thanked her guard aloud and found him secret of time. He finally rose to her feet and looked down to the red and fallen and little the tried. Dead lips relaxed, and when his breath behind him ran close to him, not that could doubt which would get alone. He turned a flame and candle was turned down, but warmth and human. He turned suddenly. There she stood all white, with a shadow of the old eye. She had risen from her bed and followed him, noisy. When she found him reading, she went over his shoulder. He stared violently when he saw upon when he saw her, for his nerves were unstrung. When he cried out her name, it was still a place, place of death. Evelyn, my brother, she answered softly, tenderly, putting out both hands to meet his.